we are dealing with some of the great parables found in scripture for a few weeks. But the one we are dealing today with is quite different from all those we, we dealt already with. And as I look into Luke 15, you may turn to it already, Luke 15, I saw that this parable, the sea ones, the sea told here, are so different in character than the preceding ones. Before, those parables told by our Lord Jesus Christ had to do with the nature and the character of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus explains it in those parables. Just remind you of the parable of the sower, the master seed, the weed and the tares, and the fishes and the net. And in all these parables, the great story is told about the church age, the present time. I like, to, I like to put it this way, the monstrosity of Christianity or Christendom in this world. Where you have the saved and the lost together. And the monstrosity of Christendom until harvest day comes and the division is made. Many times the saved and the lost which are together in this monstrosity of Christendom are not distinguishable for the Christian. If you are all together. And the Lord knows the heart. Until harvest day, we don't know. But then it will be revealed who belongs to the Lord Jesus and who not. Now, as I said, those parables here in Luke 15, they are quite different. They are well known. There is in verse 3 to 7 the story of the lost sheep, the story of the silver coin, the lost silver coin in 8 to 10, and then the story of the prodigal son, which is probably the most uh, uh, known parable among all of those. And these parables speak in a wonderful way about God. Uh, God-seeking love. It is a story of the Savior and the lost, who goes after the sinner. Now let's turn to Luke 15, and uh, we can only deal with one of them. And uh, let's take verse 11 to 24, and then and let's read it together. It is the story of the prodigal son. From verse 11 to 24. Says, and he said, A certain man has two sons. And the younger man said, As my father, Father, give me the portion of goods that are all for me. And he divided them together. Thank you. 
in this story. You know, when I looked into uh, these three parables and compared it with the other Gospels, you know, I learned the striking fact about the Gospel of Luke that it is in many ways quite different from the other Gospels. The Gospel of Luke, I believe, has a special emphasis on the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Son of Man, the Son of Man, is a frequently used term in this gospel. There are many incidents which are not recorded in the other gospels, which we find here in the gospel of Luke. And in order that we may understand the teaching of our lesson today, I just want to point out two stories, which uh, two uh, incidents which are recorded in the Gospel of Luke, which we only find in Luke and not in the others. And they are very interest, uh, interesting. There is first this wonderful story in the early ministry of the Lord Jesus when he came to his hometown, Nazareth, and uh, where he sat down on a Sabbath day in the synagogue, and there when the book of Isaiah was given to him, only to uh, record this, and this is very interesting. Maybe turn to it just for a moment, a few pages uh, back in Luke 4, we find it. And here the, God, uh, the book of Isaiah was given to Jesus, and in verse 17 we find that he opens the book, and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the, to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the covering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Here, Jesus is referring to Isaiah 61, verse 1, claims that God has anointed him to preach deliverance to the captive, to the poor, and Jesus is mainly speaking here in a spiritual sense. He is commissioned by God, he is sent by God, he is our king's redeemer, he is close with our humanity, that is what it is. And to preach and uh, uh, the acceptable year of the Lord. And this is a pleasant time. And when we look back into this uh, portion of scripture, in uh, Isaiah 61, we find this exciting fact that the Lord Jesus stopped where Comma was, the acceptable year of the Lord. But the scripture goes on and speaks and a day of judgment. This is a full sentence in the Old Testament. But Jesus stopped here, the acceptable year. He was come to be the Savior. Oh, he has given all judgment. God has given all judgment to the Son. But now is not the time of judgment, but it is the time of grace. And it is the acceptable year of the Lord. Then I want to turn to uh, another 
portion of scripture. There are many, uh, many more which only uh, recorded in, in the Gospel of Luke. But now we turn to Luke 23. And here we come to the scene of the crucifixion. Remember that there on Calvary's hill were three crosses. Luke 23. Oh, by the way, it is only Luke who uses the name Calvary, not the other gospel. And this is very frightening too, you know, because, because Calvary is a Gentile name for Golgotha. And this is very frightening too, you know, that here Luke, in a, in a way led by the Holy Spirit, tells us that he is the Savior of the world. For the Gentile nation, for the Jews of course first, and then all the Gentile nation included. Calvary was the Gentile name for Golgotha, which is a Hebrew name and which we find used in the other gospel. I thought this is uh, remarkable. And so we have here the story how the thief, the criminal, got saved. And it is a fantastic story. Only Lord records this story. And you know it very well. And uh, let me read from verse 39 to 43, where there is one of the malefactors, those criminals which were hand-railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And be indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And this is a fantastic story. Because this is a story which spoke in my own heart. When one night I couldn't find peace. And you know my story, most of you know it. When with a burning soul I couldn't find peace. And I tried to pray and I couldn't pray, I didn't know how. And I fell on the side of my bed. I was led to that peace where the three horses were, and where the three men died. And when the thief turned to Jesus, and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into your kingdom. And Jesus turned to him, telling him, Today you will be with me in paradise and tell for my I see God's love revealed in Jesus Christ as he died. And this is very, very striking to one who is all Catholic, you know. One who believes that you have to do this and you have to do that. In order to be saved one day, after many years, who knows how many years, going through purgatory, one day in the far distant future, there might be a day where you will get saved in eternity. That is how the Catholic feels about it. And here, Jesus turned to him and said, Today, you will be with me. And this is the way every sinner must come and every sinner must be saved. He must recognize that he is a sinner and then turn to Jesus and trust him in him. Jesus will welcome him. 
and build a city. And this is what our story here is all about. This is the teaching of Luke 15. Now let's come to Luke 15 and let's look a little bit closer into this <coughs> And I believe that the key to understand this parable hangs right on the front door. I'm reading those first two verses in this chapter. In verse 1 we find that the publicans and the sinners came to hear Jesus. Jesus was always surrounded by these people, the outcasts of society, those which saw their need. They were the ones which wanted to hear him, which were alone to find forgiveness of sin and find healing. And then we find another group of people here, which are the Pharisees, and describes those self-righteous people, which should have known Jesus and should have recognized him as the Messiah. But they rejected Jesus. And Jesus had to say to them, and this is uh, very striking, in John 8, 24, he said to the Pharisee, one day, he said, he will die in your sins. He will die in your sins. And it's striking to me that Jesus doesn't say, and you will die for your sins sometime in the future. You are dead already, namely in your sins. And it might sound strange to us to read here and there in the scripture, in the Gospel of Luke especially, certain group of people called sinners. And I will say, what about the others? But this is how the Pharisees looked at people and the scribes in the self-righteousness. And as they looked at this group of people, the outcasts, this dark background, they really looked wonderful. They were shining bright and gloriously against that background of outcasts. And let me tell you that Jesus can do nothing whatsoever for this kind of people. Can't do it. We have to come the same way as the thief was then. Recognize that we are sinners. And in our lostness, turn to him and trust in him. This is very simple. And this is what all this story is about here. This is the theme of our lesson. God seeking love. We see this uh, two groups of people represented in the son who went away from the father, lost in sin, and then saved by God's grace. This is the two groups of people which are only on the face of the earth and Those which are dead in trespasses and sin, and those which are alive in Jesus the good shepherd. There's nothing in the book. Who is not for me is against me. There's no neutrality with God, with Jesus. We have to see this. And when we understand this, then we have no difficulty whatsoever to understand this battle. It is as simple as this. Now let's look into this parable a little bit closer. We have three dominant characters in this parable, don't we? 
can be Nathan, the first of all the younger son, right? We find him in verse 11 to 20. Then we have the forgetting father there, who welcomes his son back. And then we have an appendix to this story, as I told you before, and this is the story of the elder brother. And here we have to keep in mind that Jesus spoke to those two kinds of groups of people, the publicans and sinners and the Pharisees. And we easily can identify the elder brother with the Pharisees. Very easily. He is teaching them Jesus and it's very interesting to see this. Now, let's look at the younger son. How should we describe him? Well, he is a man, a young man, with a selfish attitude. An attitude which we find today very often. It is all too common today. In verse 12, we see this, that he goes to the father and he says, Father, give me. Father, give me. This is a spirit of selfishness. This is the spirit of humankind, of mankind. This is the spirit of our time. Demanding everything and giving nothing. This is the spirit of our time. We easily can see this here. There is the idea that society owes us everything. Isn't this the spirit of all time? Give me. Want to get as much as we can get out of it. Society owes us everything. And there is no sense of obligation towards others. As the sun heart. No obligation towards us whatsoever. He doesn't care about the others as long as he gets his portion. And this is exactly what we see today in our time. Demanding everything. Look at the union demands. Demand. Not caring about the others. Not caring that because of the wage increases which they get. There will be the price increase and the undermining of the economy altogether. Don't see it! Can't see it! Because Satan is behind it all. Satan is behind it. There's also a feeling that society is very restricted. That is how the sun fell. His home was too restricted. He didn't feel free, and he wants to be free. They call it today's establishment we have to get rid of in order to be free. Liberation is a big word of today. Liberation. We have to be liberated from what? From what? I remember, you know, a few years back, I had to work on a Saturday just before Easter. There was an Easter march. People coming down, screaming on uh, 6th Avenue. And then forget it. And the downpour, it was raining like crazy. And they were shouting. Do you know what they were shouting? 
Hu Ximin was still alive then. Ho Ximin set us free. Ho Ximin set us free. And the Dutch said, me so much coming from Nazi Germany and believe with all my heart that we are living in the freest country of the world. And I said to myself, from what? Ho Ximin set us free from what? Liberation is a big word. And people want to get rid of marriage, of family, want to get rid of organized labor, of the school system, want to get rid of the government. Everything has to go that man might be free. Not really, I think, that Satan is deceiving them, that Satan will bring them and does bring them in, in a terrible bondage which will make them so miserable and finally they will die with this sin. The son was looking for freedom, want to get away from the home. He wants to find happiness in the world. And now comes something which is very, very important to realize and to see. The father let him go. The father didn't force him to stay. The father had the perfect right to say no to the son. According to Jewish law, if you go back to Deuteronomy, the father had no obligation whatsoever to give that father to the son. The time of his death wasn't come. Yet, he let him go. You know that God let Adam go to that God didn't force Adam. And this is where we have to go back to understand this story. He didn't force Adam to stay in the presence of God. He didn't force him. He let him go. God has given a free will to man, and man can choose between good and evil. And man chose to be evil. And man didn't want to have the presence of God anymore. You know that Adam was hiding from God? Before it was such a wonderful and beautiful picture. See Adam and Eve in fellowship with God in a state of innocence. Wonderful picture. But there was sin already in the heart. They want to rebel against God. And there was a deception of Satan. Why doesn't get why doesn't God get rid of this kind of people? You know, this was a question which was put to me last week in the Long Island Railroad. I was reading my Bible as I always do in the morning. And the man sitting next to me reading his New York Times. He always peeked over in my Bible, you know, and he got quite restless, quite restless. Finally, he folded his paper. He couldn't read anymore. I don't then I felt and I knew that the Lord was speaking to me and that I should witness to that man. So I stopped talking. I didn't want to lose any time. Soon as I was sure that the Lord wanted to talk, me to talk to that man. 
So I witnessed to him and I told him how much the Bible means to me. That one day I didn't care at all. But now that a new world opened up for me and I gave him the whole plan of salvation and everything. And he listened very carefully. And at one point he just cut me short. He said, okay, okay, now it's enough, he said. I believe as you believe. I believe that God created man, that he put him on the face of this earth, that he has given man a free will. He said, man chose to be evil and ever since we have war and bloodshed. I know and I agree with you. you. We cannot blame God for what's going on on the earth. It is sin. But tell me one thing, he said. Why doesn't God get rid of this kind of people? And then I had a wonderful time to explain to him why God didn't come down in judgment yet. He said, because he loves you, and because now it's the acceptable yield of Lord. Because of great love, God doesn't want that anyone should perish. But that everyone should come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. He's waiting for you to come. I want to give him the gospel of John. He rejected it. I carry those always with me. They are wonderful to pass on. The gospel of John. Pocket the League Testament as a page of decision. In the back, you know, where you can make your decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful. This are lot much better than any, any text. They are a little more expensive than the text. But it's really worthwhile to pass on. It's the living word of God. And the Holy Spirit can use it. But he rejected it and said, I have three Bibles at home. And he said, Now I will do some study. And I mean, we have to go back to the story where Adam got away from the house of God, from the temple of God. Then we will understand this uh, portion of scripture. And remember when Adam sinned, he had only one desire to hide from the face of God. And then we hear God's cry in the garden Adam, where are you? The Lord knew where he was. Didn't he know? Of course he knew where he was. But why did he cry out, Adam, where are you? I thought many times about this. And I believe that God was speaking to Adam in a broken heart. Adam, what did you do? Oh, Adam, don't you realize what you have done? Adam, come to yourself. Recognize what you did. And now your life will be miserable. You had your free will. You had your choice. Now mankind is cut off from the presence of God. Ever since man hid from the presence of God, he has no desire to get into the presence of God. You know this. Natural man has no desire. I'm working on the dear Jewish artist, the pianist, you know. He lives right nearby. Tremendous man, I like him very much. I tried for years to get him here under the preaching of the word of God. 
last time I'm invited to Canada, just two weeks ago. And he said, Franz, I can't do it, I can't do it. He said, it would upset me so much. Of course it would. Man is hiding from the presence of God. Adam sins. When Adam came and fell into sin. Notice the scripture says that in Adam, all died. All have sinned. And that is sin. Man is hiding. And therefore, therefore, and for that reason, did Jesus come into this world. And for that reason, he is telling us the story here. The story of salvation. In verse 13, we see that the sun is getting away as far as he could. The scriptures put an em emphasis on this. It says the sun gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Get away as far as he could. To get away from his home. That is what man did. What Adam did. And every generation after him. Get away from God. He wanted to be free man. He wanted to be God-less. Without God. And he got it. Why did he want to get away? Because of sin. As simple as it. Jesus said in John 3, 19, Life is coming to the world, pointing to himself, and he said, A man loved the darkness more than light, because the deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, lest his deeds should be recorded. The son wanted to get away, to do his own thing, to be free, to be God blessed. Then we see how he is wasting his mind with like-minded conies, with hippies, if you please, with dough, with howlots. This is what the scripture says. There's no doubt about this. And as soon as the money is gone, his friends are gone. Oh, he had pleasure. He had great pleasure. And it's true, there is pleasure in sin, but only for moments, and only for season. And the awakening will be terrible for those which want to stay in darkness of their sin. There is pleasure in sin. And I believe that uh, Jesus was talking about <coughs> this and this subject to the weapon, to the woman, the mountain woman and life. So man is gone. Nobody Jesus said to her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall serve the king. Meaning all the pleasures of the world. You know, this was a woman who was married quite a few times. And the last one she married, she didn't care even to get the license for it. The one you have now it's not your husband, that's what Jesus said. He knew all about him. She doesn't care anymore. She just let go. Let herself go. Whosoever thinketh of this water shall serve the king. And this is exactly what she had experienced. She didn't understand it this way the moment the Lord Jesus talked to her, but she understood later. 
what he was talking about. Because before Jesus had said to her, Oh dear woman, if you would know what the gift of God is, and what is the gift of God? Eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh woman, if you would understand the gift of God and who it is who is talking to you, namely the Messiah of Israel, namely the Savior of the world, then you would ask him and he would give you living water. Eternal life. You know, it's only Jesus who satisfies. It's only Jesus who makes you feel free. If the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. And those which know the Lord Jesus know how true this world is. There are many people with, which have tasted the world to the uttermost. And when they came to know the Lord Jesus, they found out how true that is. Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. This happened to them. There is a German hymn, and uh, forgive me for this, but it is too bad. It is not translated into uh, English, but it is a hymn which we use in evangelistic meetings all the time. It's one which stands on the stop list, which we sing all the time. And this is a testimony of a dear lady who was very rich in Duchess, well-known, and you know well-known in Germany. And she had tasted the world. She had traveled all over. She had spent her money. She had money. And she came back unsatisfied. And then she was already 64, something like this, when she accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And she wrote that in, and too bad, I'm not a poet. Anyone may do a, everyone would uh, do a, a much better job, but I have translated it and I only want you to get the meaning of it. It doesn't fit on getting into the word of the should in a poem. But this is what she said, I have seen the world, and the world is beautiful and white, yet my longing heart goes far beyond this world. I have watched the people and they are searching all day long, working, coming and going, and their life in sorrow and they are searching for what they cannot find in love, honor, and luck, and coming and going, and the unsatisfied, they return. There can be found a rest for the poor, tired, burning soul who claim it loud among the nations, for here is found the rest in the wounds of Jesus the Savior on the cross of this was our testimony. We sing this and invite people with this to come and accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the son in our story comes with his greatest decision in life. It is not an easy one by any sinner. You know, the greatest wall which has to put aside is the wall of our own self which stands between God and us. It is not easy to humble yourself and declare your bankruptcy before God. Say, Lord, I have sinned. I have sinned against thee and forgive me. 
knows that Jesus will accept everyone who comes this way as a thief came that way on the cross. But this was the greatest decision in his life. In verse 8, uh, we read, And I will arise and go to my Father and will say unto my Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I am not more worthy to be called thy son. Now he sees the sin and come to me. And now the Father, the forgiving Father, it's wonderful, something unexpected for the son. He is waiting for him. The father is waiting for him. See, he doesn't force anyone into the kingdom of God. We have to come. But as soon as, as we turn around and make one step towards him, he comes all the way towards us and cuts our hands and get us in. This is the man, isn't it? You know, James had to put it this way in his epistle. He says, for a draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And this is what the Sunday had soon as he turned home. You know, he is a parcel. And he runs towards him. He kisses him, the kiss of reconciliation. And accepts the son. We all have gone astray in Adam. You know, we all have sinned in Adam. All have sinned, including the Pharisees. You know, and the times. But God cannot do anything for them. And God will not force us to get into. We have to come. From this side, everything is prepared. Everything is ready. His Son came as a shining light into this world of darkness and sin to lead us out of this darkness and sin, to make us free. And yet we are in self-imposed poverty. Aren't we? We went astray. We did all crazy things. We didn't listen to the word of God. We rebelled against him. We married outside of the law. We went our own way knowing what the will of the Lord was. And we thought our own way is the one which will be blessed. And this is always what happens, you know. You always have to make your decision and you look at the two ways and the one with the Lord. Uh, the way of the Lord is always a hard one. It seems to be at the moment. And the one you want to go in selfishness, this is the one of pleasure and joy. You want to go there. See the deception of Satan. And some may have gone again and again his own way. You know. But this is a tremendous thing that God loves us so much. We mess so many times things up in a terrible way and we pay for it. And then we come to the Father and Father, forgive us. Yes, he does. We have a saying in Germany, it says that God lies straight on crooked lines. Meaning that we must things up and yet he gets with us somewhere if we don't forgive. And now comes the panic, does it? No. I'm sorry. <laughs> we had to talk about the self-righteousness of the elder son, who speaks about the Pharisees, who represents the scores of Christians 
claiming to be Christians which have never come to simple way of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Never looked as a cause of Calvary, the son didn't understand the love of his father. He was a hard-hearted man. He believes that because of his service for God and for his father, he was in. No, he wasn't. He was a sinner. The Pharisees were sinners. And we have to recognize this. That is the first step. And then we come to the Father and He said, Remember, God, read it again. And so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this, for our wonderful world. Father, so much more than my world. Blessed and sealed to our hearts. Anyone here, Lord, which doesn't know me, O Father, may the Holy Spirit speak to that heart. And may that heart be open. O Father, recognize that we have gone astray, that he has gone astray, that he is a sinner, that he has looked to Jesus on the cross of Calvary and accept this great salvation and say thank you. Father, bless us for all this day. In Jesus' name we pray.